Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for all the folks uh, who are watching this evening. Thank you that you know us in all our difference from each other, different locations around uh, the world. You know us in all our sameness to each other. We are men and women, human beings with the same needs to know you above all else. And I want to pray that tonight would help us to do that. Help us, we pray, to see ourselves rightly in this world in which we live and to know you rightly and to love you more because we see how how great you are in all your eternal goodness to us, your creatures. So help us to see you and love you and place our hands in yours again this evening, we pray. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Right, well, Rosie, if you could just put up the, uh, the very first slide, just as a reminder to folks of uh, what it is that we're looking at. Uh, this is course on the wisdom literature. I've called it the Tree of Life, Learning to Live from Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs and Job. And if we go to the next slide, you'll see where we've reached uh, this evening. You'll see where we've got to. Uh, the first week we looked at wisdom as a whole. Uh, last week we looked at perspective. And tonight we're going to look at time. This I, I hope uh, I hope you enjoy tonight. It's a little bit different and it's probably one of my favourite bits of the wisdom literature looking uh, looking at time. Um, I, I think you'll agree that uh, the Bible has a lot to say about time. It's clear, isn't it? Um, from the start of the Bible, there are promises that look forward in time. Then we get the coming of the Lord Jesus himself. Remember Mark's Gospel, chapter one, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. You get uh, statements like, and now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Um, <clears throat> the Bible has a lot to say about time, but tends to use time simply as a vehicle for pointing to something else that's more significant. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The real focus is on the arrival of the kingdom. Um, but in the wisdom literature, it's slightly different. What we get in the wisdom literature is a focus on time itself. What, what actually is it and what does it mean to live within time? So what, what I want to begin with uh, tonight is, is to try and, like I've been doing the past weeks, I want to try and broaden our perspective, first of all, by saying that the main thing we need to know about time is that God is not in time. Okay, so I want to begin with a little bit, just a very short bit on the doctrine of God, and it's the doctrine of God being outside of time, the eternal God, that grounds everything we need to know about us being in time. So let me let me show you what I mean. Here's, um, here's a verse from the Bible, the next slide, Psalm 102. Let's put this up and you can see this uh, here on the screen. <clears throat> here's the first thing. Psalm 102. Verses 25 to 27, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. So the number of clear things being said there is, isn't it, that God will... Go, God will be there after everything else wears away. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Everything, the foundations of the earth, the heavens, the things that are always there before we arrived on earth and that will be there when our time on earth is gone, 
And yet, nevertheless, those things one day will come to an end and God himself will still be there. Because God is eternal outside of time, the only way we can actually describe that is to use kind of time bound language. But to say that it doesn't apply to God, you are the same and your years have no end. That is not a literal description of who God is. It's a it's a, a pictorial description because God is eternal. He doesn't actually have years. It's not that he'll have years and years and years and years and years going on. It's our time bound way of saying you are totally different from us, God, outside of time. Let's have the next slide. Here's where I'm just going to stretch your minds just a little bit. Okay, here's a uh, <clears throat> a wonderful Reformed theologian, Francis Turretin. Okay, don't worry if this is this is dense. Okay, but let me just try and let me try and show you how mind blowing it is that God is eternal. Okay, here's here's what Turretin says: True eternity has been defined like this. Okay, here's what eternity is. It is the interminable, the unending possession of life, complete, perfect. Now look at this phrase, and at once. Okay, just try, what he's going to try and do in the next sentences here is climb inside that little phrase, at once. Eternity is something that exists all at once, okay? Therefore, if that definition is right, eternity excludes succession. There is no A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D. It excludes succession no less than end. There's no end point to eternity. And eternity ought to be conceived as a standing, not a flowing now. Okay, what, what is it about time that we know? Time is flowing, fleeing from us. Time, time flies, we say, don't we? One thing leads to another, but eternity doesn't have any flowing in it. It is a standing now. And the reason we say that is because nothing flows away with time from the life of God as from ours. One of the things that happens in time is that things change. Okay, there's always change, either progression or regression. Things are always changing. That's what flow of time is doing. But there is nothing about the life of God that changes in any way. He doesn't regress or progress. He doesn't mature. He doesn't need time to advance himself. Okay. Nothing flows away with time from the life of God as with ours. Now, he, here, here's, I think, the mind-blowing thing about time. God has every moment at once, whatever we have, dividedly by succession of time. Okay. Just climb inside that sentence for a moment. I think it's true. I think it's what the, the whole Bible builds, that the picture that the whole Bible gives us about time. From the very moment that God said, let there be light, God created the heavens and the earth, whatever, whatever moment time began, right through to the moment, I don't know when it will be, let's say the, the last trumpet as Christ returns, as we enter eternity forever, as the, the new heavens come down to earth, as the new creation life begins. I, I don't know exactly where that will be, of course, but from that first moment in the darkness right through to the end, what's it going to be? 6,000 years at, at the very least, 8,000? Who knows? Maybe it will be millennia before it comes to an end. But look what Turretin is saying. God has every moment at once. So those thousands and thousands of years, I don't know how old you think the earth is. Christians have different views. 
thousands of years old, millions of years old, whatever the, whatever the truth is, God has all of that time, every moment at once. It is all open to him as a standing now. Okay, so it's an amazing thought, isn't it? God has every moment at once that we have dividedly by succession of time. We experience time in succeeding epochs, but God doesn't experience time like that. The whole of eternity and time is present to God in one single moment. Even, even to use the word moment is a, an approximation, isn't it? It's a, it's a time-bound word. Hence philosophers, Christian philosophers, theologians, have well said that neither the future nor the past, okay, to say that God will be or was, but only the present he is can properly be applied to him. For the eternal duration of God embraces indeed all of time, the past, the present, the future, but nothing in him can be past or future because his life remains always the same and unchangeable. Now, if your head is hurting already, don't worry, that's the hardest it's going to be this evening. If your head is hurting, we want, we want to say, don't we, as Christian people, that's okay. If we think we can understand God ever, we're in trouble. And if we think we can understand the eternal God as time-bound creatures, then we're in really big trouble. For I think nothing blows our minds as much as trying to get our, our head around the idea that all of time is present to God in one single moment. Okay, God is completely different from us. Now, here's what I want to do this evening. If you could put up the next slide, Rosie, what I want to do is take that really big picture of God and ask what difference does it make to us as human beings? Okay, maybe you've never thought about the eternity of God. What difference does it make? And here's the difference it makes it teaches us that we are not God, and yet we often try to live like God. Okay, here, here's a, a chap called Matthew Roberts. Matthew's a friend of mine. He's a minister of Trinity Church York in the north of England, one of our churches in our um, denomination. Uh, Matthew's one of a few writers who this past week uh, authored a letter uh, to governments north and south of the border asking them not to, church, not to close churches again. Uh, in the face of the pandemic that we're living through. And Matthew wrote a, a wonderful article that you can get online. It's in a, an online journal called The Critic. And uh, the title of the article is Don't Close Our Churches, I think. But here's, here's Matthew's argument for, for um, what's happening in our world at the minute, okay? Here's what he says. There is a principle which runs through the Christian understanding of all human affairs. And the principle is this. When we try to be God, we make ourselves less than human. But when we are, are willing to admit we are not God and worship him instead, then we discover what humanity is all about. We were made to be images of God, not gods ourselves. In trying to be God, we are making ourselves less and less human. Now, the context of what Matthew is writing about is he, he's arguing in his essay that in the current uh, approach to the virus that our governments are operating with we are terrified of death and we are trying to say that the role of government is to preserve life at all costs and really he's saying there's an idolatry at work in that we are trying to be immortal but we're not meant to be immortal and actually Matthew's argument is that by trying to be immortal we're imposing restrictions on life that are making us less and less human so lockdown 
uh, you think of the students that have arrived in Aberdeen and other cities all shut into rooms, the, the way that we've all been ostracized from each other, the attempt to do what only God can do, which is to live forever, is actually making us less and less human. Now, whatever you think of that argument about lockdown, we, we know something of that, don't we? Take away a lot of the freedoms of life that we've had, and we've all begun to feel a bit less human. We've all begun to feel shut down and closed off. And Matthew's suggesting that actually what's driving that is an idolatrous attempt to be and to do what only God can do. If you, if you put the screen back on me, Rosie, I'll show you. There's a, um, a wonderful little book here. Uh, I really want to recommend this book. It's by an American author called Jen Wilkin, and it's a book called None Like Him, Ten Ways God is Different from Us and Why That's a Good Thing. And what Jen Wilkin does in this book is she treats what, what, what has classically been known as the incommunicable attributes of God. So things that are true of God that are only true of him and that he cannot communicate to us as creatures. Some of God's attributes, he does communicate to us. God is love. We can be loving. God is holy. We can be holy. God is wise. We can be wise and so on. Some of who God is, is only ever true of God. God is infinite. God is incomprehensible. God is self-existent. God is self-sufficient. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. The, 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 the beautiful thing about this book, the, 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 the wonderful insight that Jen Wilkin has is she says, we all know about the incommunicable attributes of God, things that only he can do. But of course, stop and think about it. We spend a lot of our lives trying to do what only God can do. Infinite, God has no limits. How many of us try to live without any limitations? Self-sufficient, how many of us think we are in fact self-sufficient? What about this one? omnipresent, trying to be everywhere. Some of us live like that, don't we? We're so busy rushing from here, there and everywhere. Omniscient, only God knows everything. Some of us think, unless I can get every degree under the sun, unless I know everything, I'm not going to be happy. And we, we are lost without knowledge. Jen Wilkins' argument is that we go badly astray as human beings when we try to do what only God can do. And the wisdom literature, what I want to say tonight is that the wisdom literature is the most profound resource God has given us to say that eternity is something that belongs, eternity in, in, in very nature is something that belongs to God alone. And if we live our lives on earth trying to be eternal, trying to live forever, then in Matthew Roberts' words, we are committing idolatry we are trying to make ourselves gods and everything goes wrong and ecclesiastes has some amazingly beautiful meditations on saying that only god is eternal we are time bound and here's what that looks like here's how we need to live with that here's what it here's what sense we can make of that so what i want to do tonight is this if we go to the next slide rosie i'll show you six things this evening six things that i want to show you about time from Ecclesiastes. And we're going to do it in two halves. Six things that time teaches us, okay? Time teaches us that life is short, life is elusive, and life is repetitive. And we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 to see that. And then we'll take a break, and we're going to then look at life is repetitive, uh, life is, is 
sorry, life is rhythmical, life is relational, and life is ordered. And that's all from chapter three, uh, Ecclesia, Ecclesiastes chapter three. But before then, here's a little treat for you. If you go to the very next slide as well, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna show you these two videos uh, in order. And uh, no, a back one, yeah, there we go. I want to show you a video uh, that stars Eric Cantona. Some of you will know who this man is. This is my boyhood idol, um, French footballer who played for Man United in the 90s. Um, and to me, he really was my idol. I had posters of Eric Cantona all over my bedroom uh, growing up. A wonderful, wonderful footballer, a complex character. Uh, many people loved him. Many people hated him. Uh, he did a lot of bad things as well as good things. And um, well, here's a video, okay? So we're gonna play this video. What I want you to do is, I realize this might be, might be odd, uh, might be unusual. If you can make out the lyrics, it's a music video starring Eric Cantona. If you can make out the lyrics, jot them down, keep a track of them. I've put one verse was there on the screen. Uh, we'll come back to it. I'm gonna show you this video and then we'll show you uh, another video as well. Um, right, some of you are thinking, what have you tuned into, aren't you? It's not what you came here for. Um, I'm gonna explain a little bit about that video. Eric Cantona, I'll, I'll explain it as we go through the evening. Eric Cantona was known as the king of Old Trafford when he played. Um, and the butler and the drivers, the same uh, person, Liam Gallagher from uh, the band Oasis. And again, I'll say a little bit about some of what's going on in the lyrics. Um, if you go back to the other screen, Rosie, you'll see the, the words that I put up from the song. Um, the words that were on. I remember how you used to shine back then. You went down so easy like a glass of wine, my friend. When the dawn came up, you felt so inspired to do it again. And here's the key line. But it turns out you only get to do it once. So you can work out, I think, what's going on. Some of what's going on there. Eric Cantona putting on this robe and crown. And yeah, we'll come back to it. Let, let, let me show you a second video, slight, totally different type of video. Uh, this video, I need to say to you, um, if I'm not crying when, we, when it comes back on the screen, it'll be the first time. I probably won't cry tonight because you're all here watching, but this makes me cry every time I watch it. It doesn't make my wife cry, I showed it to her. And she said, you're just getting soppy and sad and sentimental, but um, nearly every time I watch this, it makes me cry. Here's a second video about time.
well, I nearly did cry again. Um, I wonder what you made of that. Um, some of you are thinking that's way too, you get the idea, five minutes, that's way too long. And some of you think it's not long enough. Um, put up the next screen, uh, the next slide, Rosie, sorry for me, if you could. I just found this today when I was looking at this. I find uh, you can, that, it's a video called Portrait of Lotta, uh, made by her dad. And here's, here's what he said. I find this quote on Wikipedia. She was changing at such a rapid pace that I felt this video went viral. It's been viewed all around the world uh, millions of times. She said, and her dad said, she was changing at such a rapid pace that I felt the need to document the way she looked to keep my memories intact. And that made it worse for me again, reading that. I'm a dad, I've got uh, four children, two boys and two girls. And I think the fact that it's a daughter, there's something hard to put your finger on. Um, parents know exactly what that dad was trying to do. Some of us watch, watch that, do we wish we'd done that with our own children? Uh, you, the photo albums, out they come and you just think, did they, did they, did they really look like that? I don't remember. I, I, it's just gone, hasn't it? Um, so we'll come back to that as well, just, just briefly. I think that one in a way speaks for itself. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter one. Ecclesiastes chapter one, and I'm gonna read verses one to 11, and then three points uh, from this, okay? Life is short, life is elusive, and life is repetitive. I just wanna show you these three things as quickly as I can, and then we'll, then we'll take a break. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 1, 1 to 11 and then after the break we're going to look at chapter 3 verses 1 to 20. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Remember the translation that I gave, gave us of that either last week or the first week? A breath, a breath, everything is a breath. That's the best way to read that that word, the particular Hebrew word, hevel, a breath, a breath, a breath, a mist, a vapor, says the teacher, all is a vapor. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, look, see, this is new. No, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Three things, life is short, life is elusive, and life is repetitive. It's really the third one that is the major focus here. But look at the first one, life is short. And I think that this all stems from that translation in verse two, vanity of vanities or breath of breaths, the merest of breaths, all is a breath. I think the idea in Ecclesiastes is the teacher is wrestling with the fact that just like you, we're starting to get into it here in Aberdeen, aren't we? The cold these last few days, step out on a cold morning and you breathe, you breathe onto the screen in front of you, you breathe into the air and there's mist and vapor and then it is just gone, isn't it? 
you light a match for a candle and the smoke fills the air and then it's gone, it's finished, it's over. Life is short, is what Ecclesiastes is saying. That's the first thing we need to know about time, that time is short, time is quick, passing. I think this is impl- it's not explicit in these verses, is it? But I think it's, I think it's implicit. Verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Although it's not saying time is quick and life is short, it, it has that feel, doesn't it? A generation, how, how, what's that? 70, 80 years, 100 years, 60 years? A generation goes and a generation comes. It's, it's over in the space of a few words, but the earth remains forever. We are here quickly and gone. So, let me ask you, is time, is time getting faster or slower the older you get? We know the answer, don't we? It's, it's short, it's, it's quick, it's fast. I'm in my 40s and I'm learning. Now, I think it's this decade, this, this age, that I, you really begin to learn that life is short. Yeah. 40s, someone said to me, well, the 40s is when you're fighting against getting old. You're... You know, I didn't have a gym membership till I was in my 40s. And you fight against it in your 40s. And people say you accept it in your 50s. But I don't know if that's true. I don't know of many 50-year-olds who say they've accepted it. You're still fighting it. Maybe there's less fight by then. But we, we know life is short, don't we? We know life is quick. It's passing quickly. Some of it is the presence of death is being brought closer. Like I said in the very opening week, when you get to the 40s onwards, it is now my friends that are dying of cancer. It's my parents who are moving to be near us before they get too old, too incapacitated to need. Um, so they've moved near so that they can begin to get help in the later years of life. Blink and you're in your 80s and it's over. And that's why I think I find that video of Portrait of Lot of the Daughter so powerful. Five minutes, if you thought it was long, think about the dad who made it. He's thinking it's, 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 it's not long enough, is it? What wouldn't he give to reach back in and go back to those moments, to, to, to reclaim his daughter at some of those particular moments? He'll know stories, incidents, memories around, surrounding particular images. He's just blinked and she's now 18. I don't know when it was made. I don't know how old she is now. But parents, you know that, don't you? Don't, don't you? you? You see it with your grandchildren. You see it with your own children. Time is short. Life is short. This is part of the teacher building a message for us, okay? Number one, life is short. Number two, life is elusive. Life is elusive. That Eric Cantona video, what, what does it show us about achievement and success and greatness and winning trophies and lifting premierships and being fated as the best player in the world. What, what does it give you? What, what, what did he look like to you at the end, leaving the house? Still the king, robed, a crown, but what? Are there, are there subjects around? Are there people um, praising him now? No. Look at verse three. What does man gain? by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. See, the the teacher in Ecclesiastes is going to say to us, life is not just quick, it's not just here and gone, 
life is elusive. So imagine again that mist that you've breathed out. This is important to see the layers to the meaning here that that mist that you breathe out, yes, it's gone quickly. The, the match that you strike and the smoke in the air, yes, it's gone quickly. But if it's gone quickly, what do people try and do with life? Try, they try to grab it and hold on to it. So that mist and that smoke, imagine trying to put some in your hand and stuff it into your pocket for later, put it inside your jacket. You, you just can't do it, can you? It's, it's not just brief and transient. It's slippery, ephemeral, uh, untangible. You can't get hold of it. That is what this book is saying. Remember I said it's a, a stark answer to this question in verse three. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does Eric Cantona gain in that video? Memories, memories. That's it, that's it. Harking back to happier times, harking back to when things were better. Life is elusive. You just cannot nail it down, get everything right, hold on to it forever, put it in your back pocket, put it in the safe and keep it. It just keeps running away from you. That's why um, the book that I did on Ecclesiastes, why it has this sandcastle on the front. It's the idea of building something. Okay, and I, I, I built not this sandcastle, but I built the sandcastle on the beach with my daughter. And I, I remember watching her surprise, first time she'd seen it happen, as the waves came and took away her work. She wasn't expecting it at all. It looked so magnificent. We spent ages building it, decorating it. There it was. And you just can't take it with you. It, it's gone. Uh, I, I think life is elusive in two main ways in Ecclesiastes, two main, thing, two, two main ways. Uh, life eludes us at the level of our understanding and at the level of our actions, okay? So understanding in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is going to say, you just can't always find out the way the world works. Think about it at a very simple level. Why does, uh, why does it rain on the days you don't take your umbrella? Or why does the supermarket queue that you don't join move faster than the one you do? It's just, you know, you think, you, you think you've learned it by now, but somehow Ecclesiastes says, the meaning of life just, those are trivial examples, but the meaning of life just often eludes us. Why did that relationship go wrong? Why, why did that marriage not work out? Why did, why is it me that's got the terminal illness and not them? Why this and not that? You, you, it's elusive, can't grasp it. And secondly, not just at the level of our understanding, but the level of our actions, what we do with our lives. We do not really have control over what we do. That's what, that's what the teacher wants to say in Ecclesiastes. You, we, think we're, we think we've got control. We think we're building the project of our lives, but boom, the, the best laid plans can come to nothing overnight. Before we know it, something terrible might happen or an unexpected turn of events. The, the, the illness arrives, the... Um, the, I don't know, take your pick. There's all sorts of things. The job we thought we were going to get, the biggest one, of course, for us has been massively, has been the coronavirus, hasn't it? Um, the lives we thought, the, the year we thought we were having, going to have in 2020. Ecclesiastes says life is elusive. It's not always what you think it's going to be. Those two things, life is short, life is elusive. Let me show you the main thing here that I think emerges really clearly from, from the text. Life is repetitive. And I think there's a lot to help us here with this. 
And this is the main point of the imagery here, isn't it? Just look at it again. I want you to, to now not just read it, but feel the lyrical tilt of it, okay? Verse, let's read from verse four again. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down. Look at the way it did this, then this, then this, and this, but every time there's then a constant. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness and man cannot utter it. So the, what the teacher is saying is, look at the world. There is a threefold pattern here, okay? Sun, wind, and water. You see it in verse five, six, and seven. Sun, wind, and water. And that, th th those three things in creation are matched by a threefold pattern in human experience, speaking, seeing, and hearing. Okay, you see it in verse eight and nine, speaking, seeing, and hearing. And sun, wind, and water go round and round again. And in human experience, speaking, seeing, and hearing just go round again. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, just like the sea is not satisfied with getting water into it. The ear is not filled, it's not satisfied with hearing, just like the wind doesn't arrive in one place, it just keeps going and going. See, the, the point is that in the world, everything is cyclical, not linear. We know, yes, time moves chronologically and linearly, even though there is a kind of really a spinning cycle to it, isn't it? Time is repeating itself, night and day, week and month, year, four seasons. And what the teacher is saying is, look, human beings, please open your eyes and look at the world that you're living in. The world that you're living in is not just traveling on a straight line. It's spinning, it's going round, it's coming back again. So the, the creation itself is structured to repeat itself. Therefore, we will repeat ourselves. We will speak and then speak again. We will see and then see again. We will hear and then hear again. And we will just keep on doing it. See, I think this language here of sun and wind and water, what it's showing us is that creation in a way, in the answer to that question in verse three, what does man gain by all the toil? He's trying to show us that creation itself doesn't gain from all the toil. Listen, uh, listen to Ian Prove, and I held up his commentary at the, the start. Um, I, I quote him in, in my book here. Here's what, he, here's what Ian Proven says. If you look at these verses about creation going round and round, okay, the massive reality of creation is here critiquing the aspirations of all us tiny mortal beings who stand within creation as transient creatures. There is no reason to assume that we will gain from our toil if creation as a whole does not gain from its toil. See what he's saying? Look at the world repeating itself, repeating itself. And here am I refusing to do things in repetition. I want to be free. I want to conquer the world. I want to, I want to gain something. I want to last forever, leave a legacy, make a mark. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, life is repetitive. The, the very creation itself is repetitive. 
So what happens to us in this world of constant repetition? The, the, the teacher knows something about you and about me. He knows this, that inside our hearts is the desire to be God. Okay, it's the first sin, isn't it, in, Adam, in the garden, Adam and Eve? It's what the serpent said to them. God knows you will be, if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like him. They reached for God-like status. And the teacher knows that inside every human being is the desire to be God, to build a tower again like Babel, to show the world that I'm king, I'm going to live forever, I'm in charge. That is the very essence of sin, isn't it? To be like God who built a universe, a universe that goes on and on and on. I want to build something that goes on and on and on. I want to live forever. I want to be you, God. I want to know everything that God can know. It's a huge part of the wisdom literature. We cannot know what God knows, but it's what we want to do. Why has this happened to me, Lord? I'm not, I'm, I'm not happy with the idea that I can't know the answer to everything, but that is a God-like thing to know, to have the answer to everything. So here, here's what happens with our sin in all of this, okay? In this world of constant repetition and the brief lives we have, Life is short, life is elusive, and life is repetitive, okay? Something happens to us with that. Here's what we do. Let me give you two things. In this world of permanent repetition, we long for change, okay? I think this is true, isn't it? The world is spinning, and our eyes and ears, we're repeating everything. Everything is going round. And in this world of permanent repetition, we long for change. So think about ordinary life life is humdrum isn't it it's boring it's same old same old i'm i'm speaking in my study here and right beside me is our utility room and i often say that the utility room is the metaphor of our life there's a washing machine in there that never stops okay it is it's going it's going right now and it, it's always on there's something being washed in there it's just spinning and spinning and spinning it's a picture of life isn't it Life is same old, same old, day after day, same routines, the school run, the packed lunch, constantly, right? always going round and round. So what happens to us as human beings in the midst of that repetition? We long for change, don't we? I'm going to move house. Okay, I don't like, got bored living here, same old, same old. I'm going to change church. I got bored of the same people, same minister, same routines in church same music i want something different i'm going to change relationship new partner and we rearrange the furniture of our re repeating lives in the in the hope of achieving lasting change without realizing that the washing machine nature of life is just what life is the teacher says hey, look if the sun repeats itself every day if the sun has to get up and go to the same place it went to the day before and go back again. Who, who do you think you are to not end up having to do the same things every day? And we know this, don't we? As soon as we make a decisive, we buy the bigger house, we get the different car, we get the different partner, we change the routine, we get a Fitbit, we're going to do this instead, the new routine. After a while, we just want to change that thing, that person, that place. It's because we haven't come to terms with the fact of what it means to be a creature within time. 
nothing repeats for God in the same way that the creation repeats, but for us it does. And we don't like it. We want to rebel against. There's the first thing. We long for change in a world of permanent repetition. But something contradictory happens as well. Here's the second thing. We long for permanence in a world of constant change. We long for change in a world of permanent repetition. Think about yourself. It is also true that we long for permanence in a world of constant change. We want better health new body we're going to change the diet we're going to get a smartwatch. we're going to have a facelift we're going to hire a personal trainer we're going to get an insurance plan we're going to get a vaccination for the virus we want to be permanent and all along in the wisdom literature in ecclesiastes god is saying to us friends brothers and sisters you are here for a short time only you are not meant to be permanent and you're not meant to have a life without rhythm and routine and repetitiveness and same old same old it's what it means to be human and he, if you take nothing else away from tonight here's the key thing that the doctrine of god is that god is eternal he has all of life in himself he's not he's not static he's overflowing with a abundant abundant full radiant life and all moments of all time are present to him in one particular moment if you can even use that word moment but we are not like that we are frail time-bound creatures and the whole point of time itself is to teach us who we are that we are not like him we cannot have what only he can have we cannot know everything do everything and we cannot live forever the way that he can. Even if the fall had not happened and Adam and Eve had reached, for, for, to, reached and ate from the tree of life in a way, whatever, whatever is going on with that tree, even if we had eaten from the tree of life to live forever, eternal life is not a natural property of human beings. It is a, a grace gift given to human beings. Only God lives forever. And I think Ecclesiastes says part of learning to live well is just learning to accept what time teaches us, just learning, us, learning to accept that I am not going to be here forever and to let it sink right down deep into my bones. Look at verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. In a hundred years, no one will know we did this tonight. And no one will very likely know that any of us were even here. Now, what Ecclesiastes is saying is that is very, very, very good news. Okay. It's the opposite of what we think. Hang on. I, I, you know, no, what's the point of my life if no one will even know I'm here? And Ecclesiastes says exactly the point of your life is to enjoy being here, to enjoy God. Remember what I said last week about Tremper Longman, wrongly saying that eating, drinking, working, loving are limited joys. That's where he goes wrong with Ecclesiastes. Eating, drinking, working, loving are limited. Ecclesiastes says, no, they are the very best gifts that you can have. So enjoy them. 
doesn't matter that no one will remember I was here if I have lived well, enjoying God and loving you. And some of you may remember years ago, there was a man, Ibrahima, uh, who appeared on the news because he had conjoined twins, two little girls. And it was the most one, I can't remember what happened to them. I keep meaning to look it up at some point to see what happened uh, several years ago. Um, it was the most wonderful story because of the way they interviewed the father. Here's what he said. He said, the, the, these two girls they were trying to work out what to do, whether to operate, whether, whether they would both live, what could happen. And he said this, the future is uncertain, but my girls battle every day for life. And I feel very blessed. I have found out through their life what life is. I have found out through their lives what life is. You see, you see what he's saying? He has learned through lives that might end any day, through lives that are short, through lives that, here's the thing, verse three, through lives that are not going to achieve anything of lasting value in the world, lasting legacy, lives that may be over very soon, lives full of disability and difficulty. He has learned what life is. It's an amazing thing to say. I have found out through their lives what life, what, what, do, where, what do we normally think you find out where life is? We think you find out where life is from Eric Cantona on the football pitch, on the, uh, in the, the, the ivory palaces, the, uh, the, the dollar line streets of Wall Street, the, the, the success in life. And Ecclesiastes says it will be gone like that. No, it's not where we learn what life is. We learn what, what life is by realizing how short it is, how elusive it is, accepting the limitations in repetition. Those things can teach us. No videos. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. And then all I'm, all I'm going to really do is try and summarize the article that I uh, was sent out last week, uh, the one that uh, called You Do Not Have Much Time. I want to just give you a couple of angles uh, from that article. So if you don't take in... Uh, much from this next bit you can get most of it from that article uh, but there's some beautiful things here about time in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 three three more things to see life is rhythmical life is relational and life is ordered uh, let, let me read Ecclesiastes 3 for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted a time to kill and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. 
that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Very, very important verse in Ecclesiastes. God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Let's finish there, verse 17. Three things to see. Number one, life is rhythmical. I just want to say this uh, briefly, right from the, the opening words of, of chapter three, for everything there is a season. And we'll come, uh, that's right, there, there's the three, three things. Life is rhythmical, life is relational, and life is ordered. Here's the first one, life is rhythmical from verse one. For everything there is a season. Before we get into the seasons, we're going to, I want to say a little bit about that in, in point five, life being relational. Th th there is a, a rhythm to life and a time gives us the rhythm. Now, part of what part of what's going on here, I think, in chapter three is that these things are unpredictable, unpredictable rhythms or seasons. You don't actually know when these things are going to happen to you. But at the same time, the teacher thinks everything has a place, has a place. There is a a time for everything, a, a rightness that this happens here and that that happens there. And I think that in itself, friends, is really significant, okay? Life being rhythmical is really significant. Here's why, the, the Bible says there is a time for all things. There's a time for things. Can I do this now? No, there's a time for that, Dad. Can I have this? There's a time for that. When, can I get a phone, Dad? No, there's a time for that. that. That's biblical wisdom. There is a time for all things. But our world says, I think you'll agree with this, our world counters, doesn't it, the opposite and says, no, all things can be done all the time. Okay, that's the way the world works. Most technology has harnessed us to the lie that we can throw off creaturely restraints of time and have access to everything always, without waiting, without stopping, without needing to rest. To, to my kids, the idea that you might have to wait for a program to appear, to record it, and then watch it, or to get a box set and have to wait week, wait even a whole week for the next episode, is anathema to them. Our world says you can have everything. Now, now think about the room I'm in, electricity, screens where we can see each other on the other side of the world technology blurs the boundaries to the rhythms of our lives think about that it's true isn't it electricity blurs the boundaries between waking and sleeping years and years ago this wouldn't be happening we would have had to do, let's say there was zoom 100 years ago we would have had to do it uh, before tea time let's say somehow we could connect but no electricity our online life today has become a timeless master, hasn't it? Free of time's demands and it just pings commands at us night and day that we obey without question. Think of everything that's open 24 seven, maybe not quite so much just now, but gyms, amazing thing that gyms are open 24 seven. I go to Pure Gym and it says on the wall, 24 seven, 365 days a year. 
life is time life is rhythmical no life is constant life is just open gyms petrol stations libraries offices supermarkets and what it does to the human beings it makes us think we can do all things all the time without limit there's no particular season for anything no rhythm to what we do the wisdom literature says wise people don't live like that. Wise people realize God has structured the world in a rhythmical way. Just like in chapter one, the teacher makes the point about the circular pattern. We need to realize we live inside that. There's another way of looking at the circular pattern, which is that life is ordered according to certain structures and rhythms. Dawn, morning, afternoon, evening, night, six days to work, one day to rest that structures a week that then repeats itself over months months that then repeat themselves over years think think about it dawn morning afternoon evening night six days one day four weeks one month 12 months one year i don't think we let that preach to us we just blur it mash it all together and many people try to live rhythm-free lives by simply doing whatever they feel like doing in any particular given moment without attending to whether that is the right thing to do at this particular moment, at this particular point in time. Ecclesiastes knows if you pull apart the rhythms of life, you tear up the very fabric of what it means to be a human being. How many of us have realized that our attention spans have been shrinking? because of the way we use our digital devices. We know that, don't we, deep down inside, that the, the, the rhythmless use of technology is actually tearing at the fabric of what it means to be a human being. Now, I don't think that's new. That is our particular challenge at this particular point in history. Technology has always done that. But I think we're now discovering that our, our rhythmless attention to digital media and that's just one thing. Take your pick of any other area of life. Our rhythmless attention to digital media is affecting our personhood. God gave us the Sabbath, six days, one day. God built Sabbath years into the, uh, the, the cycle of life in the land for his people. Six years of work, seventh year of rest, seven times seven, a jubilee year. And again, we just don't live like that, do we? One of, my, one of my great hopes over a lifetime of ministry is to somehow encourage a generation of people to love the Lord's Day and to love the Lord's Day as a, as a feast day, a celebration day, a day of what it means to restore being human, that I am not a slave. So it's the amazing thing about sabbath isn't it in the old testament pharaoh did not know anything about a day off they, the israelites had 400 years of work 400 years without hundreds of years without a sabbath and along comes pharaoh and imposing you will work and work and work and our world is just like pharaoh but to insert into that the rhythm of on this day I am with God's people, come what may. Now, I haven't been in pastoral ministry all that long. I've been in it long enough to know and to observe. You, you meet all sorts of different people through, uh, through years coming in and out of church life. 
one of the things that is clear is that families that observe the Lord's Day as an unbreakable rhythm, not, not many of those families come to grief in the way that families that there is a kind of chaos, if you like, at the heart of family life, that people are just, we don't really know what's driving our week. We're just going here, there and everywhere. Uh, it's not a fail safe. There's a lot more going on in families where, where good decisions are being made. But when you watch people just say on a Sunday, this is what I do. I'm just here. I'm with God's people. Sometimes those people are doing loads of other things on a Sunday as well, full of life and vitality and enjoyment of the world. But I will not miss being with God's people. It's just what I do. That There is a health to that. And there is a health to us as human beings and to church families where that happens. So that's the first one. Life is rhythmical. It's just an observation. Here, here's where you really begin to get into this. Number two, or point five, life is relational. Life is relational. If you look at those things there in the verse, uh, in the verses, all of these things are connected to people, or most of them are connected to people, aren't, aren't they? The, the, these seasons must involve people we love and lose, those we wrong and forgive, those we befriend and those who harm us. Think, look at it, to kill, to heal, to weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to embrace. Now, some of them, I guess, sort of look agricultural. We don't know exactly. They could be referring to projects. They could be referring to uh, ventures. But a lot of them are related to people. A time to keep silent and a time to speak, to love, to hate, war, peace. Uh, Ecclesiastes, the wisdom literature... We'll go back to go back to Tremper Longman, eating, working. What were his three things? Eating, drinking, working, and I added relating. He leaves he leaves off loving. Uh, the creation mandate given to Adam and Eve was to eat, to drink, to work, to fill the earth, to to, to multiply. Tremper Longman says those things are limited joys, but Ecclesiastes is saying no, eat and drink and enjoy your wife and enjoy your work and live while you're still alive. And you need to recognize that all of those things work best in relationship to other people. That's why you have chapter nine that we'll come to about go and seize the day, eat and drink and love your wife. It is profoundly relational, isn't it? Life works best when you are in perfect loving relationship to others chapter 4 verse 9 two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil if they fall one will lift up his fellow woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up eric Cantona in that video who who, who was he with his butler the table do you see the grandness of the table things were easier back then who who is he lost? Who's not there with him anymore? Uh, the 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 author of the song, Liam Gallagher. Many people think that the song is actually about his broken relationship with his brother um, in in the band Oasis, a a famously tumultuous relationship, and it's a kind of a kind of nost not he's kind of using Cantona as a kind of window into nostalgically looking back to remember when we had everything. And you only get to do this once. And because you only get to do it once, it matters who you do it with. Life is, life is profoundly relational. We don't, we don't put the rhythms of the calendar into our diary 
alone do it. It's not the only thing that structures our diaries. We meet so-and-so for coffee. We move through life being a student, then an employee, then a husband, then a father, then uh, one day a widower. All of, all of who we are is defined by our relationships to people. So there's the, uh, the, the, fifth, the fifth thing. Life is, is rhythmical. Number uh, The fourth thing, life is rhythmical. Number five, life is relational. And here's the main, uh, the main thing. I want to finish with this. Life is ordered. Life is ordered. Now, when you look at those seasons, okay, again, Ecclesiastes knows that there seems to be no structure to them. A time to weep, a time to laugh, to mourn, to dance. Okay, yes, we know there's a funeral. Yes, we, we know what it, verse four, we know what it means to go to a funeral and we know what it means to go to a wedding. But you don't, you don't, you don't have control, do we? Or certainly not with funerals and the weeping and the, the death. We don't have control over when we're going to put those things in our diaries. Even the love and the, 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 the laughing and the dancing, the wedding, you don't know whether you're going to meet someone. You don't know whether your son or daughter is going to meet someone. You, th these are seasons of life that you cannot easily control. They just kind of roll through life. And it clears what Ecclesiastes knows that sometimes when they roll through life, the damage is catastrophic. Think about them, a time for war, a time to hate, a time to kill, a time to break, break down, time to tear. We, we've lived with the emotions of those things, the damage done, done to us, the damage done to people that we know and love as those unpredictable seasons have rolled through life. But here is where in chapter three, here is one of the most beautiful things to know about time, okay? The, those seasons that have brought wrecking ball pain into our lives, where do we turn? What do we do with it? Ecclesiastes helps us to see that life is ordered. It doesn't look ordered to us. That's the key thing. Remember the limited knowledge, the limited grasp we have. God alone has eternal ordering of himself and the world. Look at, look at uh, verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. And here's something else at the heart of this, okay? What, it, what, it's, what Ecclesiastes is wrestling with here is, I'm living with all these painful incidences and painful moments, and I can't see how they all fit together. But what he's saying here is that God sees and God knows how they all fit together. And the disjointed bits of my life do not mean that everything is disjointed. God can hold it all together perfectly. And one of the most beautiful ways you see this is that the, the, the beautiful grounding for why life is ordered is that Ecclesiastes knows really, really strongly. And again, friends, this is one of the most precious things to take away from looking at the wisdom literature. Here is why life is ordered is because one day there will be judgment. Remember, we saw that last week. One day there will be judgment. Look at chapter three, verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. Remember that awful, um, awful story just recently. I can't remember the names. The young woman uh, whose husband, the police officer who was killed by being dragged, uh, caught in a noose behind the car and dragged along the road. 
went to court and the, the sentence comes out incredibly lenient. I don't know if that applies exactly to verse 16, but it seems to, doesn't it? I saw that under the sun in the place of justice, even there was wickedness and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. The, the parents whose son was killed by that American diplomat uh, in, in England, she turned out the wrong way, killed their son and off she goes to America. Um, take, take your examples in your own life that when you reach for justice at the high, you, you go all the way up to the highest court and you're longing for justice to, to have wickedness in the place where there's meant to be justice is one of the greatest evils in the world, isn't it? It's an awful, awful thing. People put their, we put our hope in the courts and the courts fail us. But verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said that verse 15 is one of the most important verses. Do you know why? Because look, look what it's saying. That which is already has been. So, okay, new things that are coming to life. We've seen them before. What's going to happen in five years' time, in a way, has already been. We'll have already seen it. It's already been here in some way. But God seeks what has been driven away. Now that verse is saying, it's, it's the idea, it's a kind of shepherding um, idea that the, the word used for God's seeking is, is, is a word that's used for a shepherd going after a lost sheep. But what God is seeking here is not, not it's not a sheep, is it? It's, it's the things that have already been. It's, it's what time has driven away, God seeks and the way I try to express it in, in, in my book, in, chap, in the chapter on this passage in Ecclesiastes 3, is that God is a time traveller. God can go back in time, back to the things that time has pushed away and that we will never be able to know. What happened in that particular incident? Where is justice way back then, the Holocaust, the Crusades, the, 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 the thing in your life in the last decade that is unresolved that no justice has been done and here we are moving through time and people are forgetting about it but you're living with it and holding on to it ecclesiastes says life is not just relational with all its pain that it's brought you but life is ordered and it's ordered by the fact that god holds time in his hands god can go back and get it god can fetch the things that are in the past it's an amazing thing to know about time that whatever it brings us it does not bring us tragedy and then drop off the end of a cliff and be gone forever it brings us things that god can go back and fetch god can take everything and one day ecclesiastes says one day he will bring it into his court courtroom isn't it interesting there is a time for every matter and for every work don't we want to say to Maybe you need to just preach that to yourself this evening. Don't we want to say it to everybody we know who's suffered awful, awful injustice? And they say to you, it's in the past. No one can do anything about it. There is a time. There will be a time for every work and for every matter. And every injustice in the world will have its moment, have its day in court. So friends, I hope that's helpful in some ways. I hope it's helpful to see that what the message of Ecclesiastes is doing is saying, yes, life is brief. Yes, time is quick. Yes, it's elusive. 
Yes, there's a beauty to it with rhythms and patterns and seasons, but there is also an ugliness and a cruelty to it that sometimes you cannot just put into words. The only way to make sense of it is that above time, beyond time, outside of time, is an eternal God who holds all of life and time in his hands and will bring everything and everyone to justice. One, one of the other things I try to say in that uh, article about time is that one of the ways the Bible speaks about time is that things are reversible. I nearly called this last point, life is reversible. Um, it's not just that things are ordered, but the Bible works with odd categories of time, doesn't it? That um, think, think of the words of the Lord Jesus. If you lose, if, if you lose your life, you'll find it. In other words, if you, if you suffer for me now in this life, you will find your life in the next life. If you gain the whole world in this life, but you lose your own soul in the next, what's the point of that? Think of the words of uh, Jesus in the, in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who are hungry. Those who lose everything in the here and now, what does he say? Theirs is the kingdom of God. They will be filled. They will receive a reward. There, there is a reversal to time. There's a, there's a turning of things on their head. That again is part of waiting, isn't it? It's part of seeing the big picture of what God is doing with time. Seeing that whatever comes our way is in his hands and all is not, all is not lost. Whatever it feels like, whatever we can see, God can see the beginning from the end. God has made and God will make everything beautiful in its time. Friends, you've been patient. Uh, it's a lot of your time this evening. So thank you very much for listening. Let me pray. And then I think we're uh, done unless any, Rosie needs to add anything. But I think we're probably done uh, after that. So let me pray for us, shall I? Heavenly Father, you know that we often live with life's ugliness and pain as much as living with its beauty and delight. We want to thank you for the seasons of happiness that we've known, the seasons of bounty and plenty. We bring to you together now and individually the seasons of sorrow and suffering. We bring to you the unanswered questions that we each have, the perplexities that are ours as creatures, time-bound creatures. And so we want to, this evening, shelter ourselves in you and hide ourselves in you. How, how amazing for us to know you have no need of time. No need of time to mature, to progress. No need of time to deal with regrets, mistakes. No need of time to heal. How amazing you are. We bow before you. You are your own eternity. You have all things fully, perfectly, completely within yourself. You are unbounded life. You have no instructor. No need to grow, no need to ask for directions in life, to take advice. One day beyond the grave, we will see you, be like you and know you. And so we thank you for your eternal nature, for your strength and power and goodness, your lavish love towards us in Christ Jesus, your son. 
hold us and keep us in him, we pray, all our days, our time-bound days. In his name we pray and ask. Amen.